Glory to God. If you brought your Bible with you this morning, open with me to the book of Hebrews. You find Hebrews chapter 4. And let me read to you again from the book of Acts chapter 4. We've been talking over the last several weeks about growing in the grace of God. Anybody been getting anything out of this? You learning something? I hope you're taking this and, and uh, put it, putting it into practice in your life. It's one thing to sit up in here and get excited about it. It's something else entirely to leave this place with it and, and begin to put it into practice. And it's the doers of the word. Those are the people that get the results from the word. And we've been looking at the book of Acts chapter 4. And the Bible tells us about that church, the, the first few days of that church. And it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, that the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was on them all. I want you to say that last part with me. And great grace was on them all. Say it one more time. And great grace was on them all. Great grace. Mega grace. That's literally what that means. Mega grace. And that alone should tell you right there, there are varying degrees of the grace of God. You may be walking in one measure of his grace right now, but the good news is there's more. There's more grace available to you. And the grace of God began to be poured out on this church that we're reading about in the book of Acts. You remember early on in this book where Jesus had told them, you go wait, wait till you are endued, he said, with power from on high, talking about the Holy Spirit. And, and it happened just the way he said it would. They were in Acts chapter 2, 120 of them gathered together in an upper room, just praying, praising, worshiping. And the Bible says there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the place where they were sitting, where they were waiting. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues. And you know what happened from there. More grace, more grace, more grace. There was so much grace on them that day that they came stumbling drunk out of that upper room. And Peter began to preach, preach with power. And 3,000 people were added to the church. Somebody say, that's grace. That's grace. That is not the result of Peter and the boys and their great marketing strategy for growing the early church. This is not the result of anybody's smarts. It's certainly not the result of anybody's experience. They had none. It's grace. Grace all over these people. And then it kept growing. The church is growing. Next thing you know, they're seeing miracles happen. People who couldn't walk from the time they were born 40 years later, they're receiving strength in their feet and ankle bones. And that man, the Bible said, went walking, leaping, and praising God. What is that? That's grace. Grace, 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 grace upon grace. And then after that, the Bible tells us that um, the, the apostles, they preached and 2,000 people more were added to the church. That's more grace. And even after they got in prison for preaching, they got beat and sent home. And you know what they prayed? 
Give us boldness, Lord, that we may preach. What are they asking for? Give us more of that grace. We want more of that grace on us. We see here in uh, Acts chapter 4 that, that people were just giving to each other, that nobody lacked anything. How do you have a church full of thousands of people and nobody lacks anything? How does that happen? It's grace. It's the grace of God. It's the grace on the place. It's the grace that's on that place. And I'm here in front of you this morning to tell you there's a grace on this place. Man, you're going to get excited about this before the end of this day. You may have come in half asleep, but you are leaving wide awake. There's a grace on this place. Now, at the risk of being overly sim simplified here, it matters where you go to church. Because you are going to partake of whatever grace is on that place. And I'm stirred up this morning. I have been for now six weeks in a row about the grace that's on this place and the grace that's growing. And whatever grace you and I have tasted of so far, somebody say, there's more. Yes. There's more of that available to us. And I'm excited about walking in it. I want to see that kind of grace on this place, that mega grace on this house and mega grace on your house. Where the same things you see happening in the pages of scripture are happening in your living room. They're happening in your car on the way to work. These same things are happening in your office when you get to work. They're happening in your school. They're happening all around you. And somebody looks at you and says, what's up with you? And the only answer is great grace, baby. Great grace. I got grace all over me. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. There's a grace on this place. And we're growing in it. I want you to uh, look with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Let's talk some more about this. In Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, the Bible says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a high priest. And Jesus is our high priest. Now, one of the things you need to know about a high priest, I've always loved this study. If you go back early, early, early on, I'm talking book of Genesis early. Um, was it Jacob and... Yeah, Jacob and Ra his wife, Rachel, you remember the whole thing there. He wanted to marry Rachel. Uh, Laban, Rachel's father, tricked him. He ended up marrying Leah. And so at the end of the day, he's got two wives and their sisters. Somebody say awkward. <laughs> Man, I'm glad some things have changed, aren't you? But he loved Rachel. Leah, eh. <laughs> he wasn't that into Leah. And she felt it. I mean, the Bible... Paints a very clear picture. She feels very unloved. Uh, but they're, you know, one literally big, and I won't say happy family, but they're a big family. And at one point, um, Leah is kind of complaining, and I guess it comes before God. And she says, my husband doesn't love me. But then she has these sons, and she says, well, the Lord has loved me, and he's given me this son, so I'll name him this. And this son, his name literally means loved. And this goes on for a while. She has a son 
named Levi. And she said, surely now my husband will be attached to me because I've given him this son. And the name Levi literally means attached. That's why she named him Levi. Surely now he'll be attached to me. The reason I bring that up is because it's from the, the family of Levi that that high priest came out of. And the high priest, starting with Aaron and his sons, and then in that family throughout generations, they had a lot of jobs, but basically one responsibility. It was to represent God to the people and the people to God. What am I saying? The high priest was attached to both. He was attached to God as God's representative to the people, but he was attached to the people as their representative to God. Isn't that interesting that it came out of that family, attached? Now, Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, which means it's from a different family, but still a same responsibility. Jesus, we, we get it that he is God's representative to man. We understand that. He's the, the visible image of the invisible God. You're looking at God in the flesh, but just as much as Jesus was God's representative to us, do you realize he is your representative to God? In other words, Jesus is just as attached to you as he is to God. He's attached. That's our high priest. That's our high priest. Our high priest went, and the scripture we just read said, passed through the heavens. He went all the way into that holy place. He went all the way up into the very presence and the throne of God. And he said, we don't have a high priest who's not touched with the, the feelings of our weaknesses. No, he went through the same stuff you did, the same stuff I did, all the same temptations you faced, I faced. He's faced every one of them. He's just as attached to you as he is to God. The only difference is he didn't sin. That's your representative in the presence of God. We have a high priest that's in the presence of God right now representing you. Representing you. Have you ever wondered why you pray in Jesus' name? Because he is your representative. And when you pray in faith in Jesus' name, check this out. In the presence of God, at the throne of God, your prayer is now coming out of Jesus' mouth. Can you imagine that? Your words coming out of his mouth, your requests coming out of his mouth, your high priest is in the presence. And he's attached to you as much as he's attached to God. Now he says this though in verse 16, the very next verse, let us therefore come boldly. Or because now that we realize we've got this high priest, this changes the way we come to God. Now again, he's writing to Hebrew people. These are people that for generation after generation understood one thing. You don't go in there. You don't go into the presence of God. You don't go into that holy place. Your representative goes in there, right? And the legend that came out, now you can't find this in scripture anywhere, but there was a legend that, that arose out of the, the seriousness and the sanctity of that holy place. 
And the legend said, we'll send the priest in, but we're going to tie a rope around that sucker and maybe some bells. Because if you're not back in 15 minutes, if you drop dead because you took some sin in there that you didn't know about, I'm not coming in to get you. We're going to drag your dead body out of there. Now, you can't find that in scripture anywhere, but what you can find is that mentality of, I ain't going in. I'm not getting close to that. And now, because we have a new high priest, one that's gone in for us and didn't take the blood of a bull or a goat or some sacrificed animal, he took his own blood and made a new and living way What's opposite of new and living? Old and dead. The old and dead way is gone. We've got a new and living way. The old and dead way was you can't go in because you're filthy. You've got sin all over you. You can't go in there. But the new and living way is this blood speaks for you. And now he has the audacity to write to these people and say, come boldly. Are you kidding me? Come boldly to the throne? If I'm hearing that for the first time, my thought is, you go boldly. Let's see what happens to you. But if that's your approach to God, if you are standing far off out of fear of what he might do to you, then you have no idea what Jesus has done for you. It's a new and living way. Not an old and dead one. A new and living one. And so because of that, he says, let's come boldly before the throne of what? Grace. It's that Greek word charis. Charis. Make a great name for a Bible school. Somebody write that down. <laughs> charis. Come boldly before the throne of charis, the throne of grace. Come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. Now listen to these words. Find grace to help. Grace to help in a time of need. Grace, charis, to help. Now, if you don't know what's waiting for you at the throne, you're not going to come boldly. Boldness is the result of knowing something. Boldness is the result of being confident and you're not coming boldly before the throne if you're not confident of what's waiting for you when you get there. If you halfway think that there's some judgment waiting for you when you get there, if you halfway think there's maybe some condemnation or God's about to smite you, whatever that means, or you've just got some old religious thinking that tells you God's angry with you, God's mad at you, there's no way you're coming boldly. The only way you or me or anybody else would dare come boldly before the throne of God is if you knew what was waiting for you there. If you knew what was there was mercy. If you knew what was there was grace. If you knew what was there was all the help you needed that's when you would come boldly. And that's what he's saying. This is what's waiting for you when you get here. Come on in. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't want God to, to, to get me. I don't want God to zap me. That's not what's waiting for you here. It's not judgment waiting for you here. It's mercy. It's not anger waiting for you here. It's grace. It's help. Somebody say help. I want to talk to you today about help. And when we see this word grace, this word charis, 
I want you today, for the sake of what we're talking about, immediately think help. His grace is his help. Now apply that to what you know about that church in the book of Acts. Everything we already talked about. The Holy Spirit coming on these people, right? Preaching with power. The church growing. People giving to one another. We say that's great grace on them, but for today, what would you say? That's great help. These people are getting helped by God in a big way. Let I me mean, think about it. What would your life look like with more help from God? Now you're sitting there going, well, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> He's helping you more than you know. Without his grace and without his help, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. All the stuff you think you're doing on your own, all the day-to-day, -day, all the, the things you do on a daily basis and you think you do it because you, you know, you're you and you're so good at that. You're able to do this. He said, without me, you can't do any of it. He's helping us way more than what we already know. Now, what if you had more of that help? Hmm? What if you had not, not just more help, more help from him? What would your life look like with more of God's help? What if you had 10% more help from God this year than you've ever had before in your life? Could you get some more things done? When somebody comes alongside and helps you, whatever was hard is now easier, isn't it? Because you're not carrying the load. You're not doing all the work. Somebody else is doing it. Well, what if you had... What if you had 50% more of the help of almighty God than you've ever had before? What would your life look like if you had twice as much help from God than you've ever had before? What if God was helping you twice as much in your marriage than he's ever been before? What if there was twice as much help and grace in your finances than you've ever had before? What about help on the job or in school or at home or in church? Lord, help us. What if we as a church had a thousand percent more of the help of God? What could we do huh? with his help? So when we see this word grace, this charis today, we're going to think what? Help. Now, the Bible says in Galatians chapter two, you don't have to turn there. Just listen. Galatians chapter 2, Paul wrote and said in verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, listen, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave. Now, if you remember back over the last few weeks, I told you when we're looking at Scripture and we see anything especially in the New Testament, that carries with it the idea of a gift, giving, given, and especially anything that comes to you as a gift from God through Jesus, you ought to think grace. And if you're thinking grace, then what else are you thinking? Help. So he said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave. So now you got faith and grace working together, don't you? That's the only way to receive what grace is given is by faith. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Now notice what he said. I do not set aside the grace. That's that word charis. So what is he saying? I do not set aside the grace or today we're going to say it like this. I do not set aside the help. I do not set aside the grace or the help of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. I'm not going to set aside the help. What's he saying? You needed help. You, you couldn't save yourself. That's what he's saying here. If that righteousness came through the law, that would have been you in your own strength under your own power, saving yourself. And if you could have done that, then Jesus death would have been a total waste. But you couldn't do that. And his death was not a waste. You needed what? Help. I couldn't save myself. I needed help. I like the way the uh, King James Bible reads. When he said there, I do not set aside the grace. I like this. He says, I do not frustrate the grace. I do not frustrate the grace of God. There is nothing, I think, more frustrating than watching somebody try to do what you're good at. You ever experienced that before? That's frustrating, isn't it? Somebody attempting to do, and I should say it like this, attempting and failing to do what you are really good at. That's frustrating. And Paul said, I, I'm making this decision. decision. I'm not going to frustrate the grace of God. Do you know how frustrating it would be for grace to watch you try to save yourself? And grace is going, you know, I can do this. I'm really good at this. I'm really good at saving. Been doing it for a long time. And you're going, no, 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 I got it. I got it. I'm going to save myself. I'm going to do all these good works. I'm going to impress God so much that he's going to, he's bound to come knocking on my door and tell me he owes me some salvation. <laughs> do you know how frustrating it would be for grace to watch you try to heal yourself? How frustrating is it for grace to watch you try to be your own provider and meet your own need while grace is going, you know, I'm really good at this. Like really, really, this is my whole thing. And you're going, no, 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 I got it. Frustrating. The Bible said in the book of James chapter four that God resists the proud, but he gives grace. He gives what? Grace. Or help to the who? The humble. I remember several years ago, I was really studying some of these things and had gotten so excited about the grace of God and, and seeing some things in it I'd never seen before. And, and, it, and it was things that was helping make sense to what I'd grown up believing. And man, I'm studying some of this and I come across this verse here in James chapter four. You see the same thing in first Peter chapter five. And it's a quote from the book of Proverbs, the Old Testament. Something about it bugged me though. God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. He gives that help to the humble. God resists the proud. I was having a hard time picturing God resisting the proud. And to be honest with you, it didn't sound gracie enough to me. You know what I mean by that? 
It didn't, man, that doesn't sound quite right. Maybe there's something lost in translation here. I just can't see God resisting somebody. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to start studying it and maybe some other translations and do some study on these words. And I ended up in this one translation called the Weiss translation. I wrote down what it says. It actually says, God sets himself in battle array against the arrogant and haughty. I thought, I'm going to go back to resist because that just got worse. He sets himself in battle array against the prideful, against the arrogant, against the haughty. Humility says, I need help. Pride says, I got this. Imagine with me for a minute. Let's say, for example, you're a mechanic and you've grown up around cars, around engines your entire life. Let's say your dad was always working on them and he was good at it, man. I mean, he just knew it inside and out. And as a, as a young person, a young man, a young woman, you were around that all the time. And from the time you were little, he's teaching you what all these parts are and where all these parts go. And you know, by the time you're eight years old, you're changing the oil. You know what I mean? By the time you're 12, you're, you're changing out spark plugs and you can do everything on this car. And then it became your profession right? You went to school on it and man, you could write the book on it and you've got experience with this kind of engine and that kind of motor. And man, you just know it all, right? You can, you can take one apart, put it back together, blindfolded in the dark, doesn't matter. You know this thing inside and out. You know where every piece goes. You know what every part does. And then let's say I'm your neighbor and I don't know any of that, but I get this idea that my car needs an oil change. How hard could this be? And you look out across the, the fence one day and you see me, your neighbor, laying in my driveway and I got engine parts scattered all across the front yard and there is a mess and you look over and I... Every finger's bleeding. I got a cut in my head. And you, you think, dear Lord, what in the world is going on over there? And so you come over and you come up next to me and you say, Jeremy, what are you doing? And I say, I'm, I'm, I'm changing the oil. <laughs> and you're like, well, then why are the tires off, bro? What, what's going on here? Well, you know, I'm figuring it out right? It's my first time. I, I figured it out. If you are a good neighbor, you know what you would say? Stop for the love of all that is good and holy. Stop. Let me do this for you, man. I, I can do that. Let me do this for you. And you don't even have to pay me. Just you stopping is payment enough. <laughs> You're in misery. I'm in misery watching you. Stop. Let me do this. I can do this and have it done like that. Now, what would humility say? Huh? Humility would say, thank you. I need the help. Right? But what does pride say? I got this. I got this. When obviously what? I don't got this. 
And it's me having it, which has made a huge mess of my life and my yard and my car. Then you've all experienced this. You've taken something apart and you're putting it back together. And you're like, well, what are these seven pieces? Where'd they come from? You know, I use this because this is probably exactly what would happen if I tried to do something like this on my own. Right. I mean, I'd be standing there looking at the open hood and, you know, I got my pants all pulled up and uh, I think, you know, the flux capacitor looks good. And 1.21 gigawatts flowing there. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know. Meanwhile, here's you, a professional, an expert with experience, with knowledge, with know-how, with ability, ready to help. And pride would say, no, 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 I got this. How frustrating would, would that be? How frustrated would you be standing there, ready and willing to help with no access? Why? Because I was prideful and said, no, 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 I got this. When I was probably five years old, six years old, my dad had just taught me how to ride a bike without training wheels. And you had to understand something about growing up in my house. These kind of things, we didn't just do them. They were productions. They were scripted theatrical productions. My dad, as an artist and a musician, it wasn't enough just to teach me to ride a bike. We had to capture the whole thing on film and go back and edit it later. And there were other things, baseball, whole baseball seasons. Uh, my dad would be out there videotaping the entire season of Little League Baseball. And this is when the video camera was this massive thing that you would rest on your shoulder, right? And he would, he would capture the whole thing and then he would go edit it and put the whole thing to music. And then we gave it to all the parents as a gift at the end of the year, their kids playing baseball. And it was like this major motion picture. And the Oscar goes to George Pearsons for best. <laughs> directing and sound editing. And that's the kind of thing I grew up in. And so one day shortly after dad had taught me to ride my bike, we were loading up the bike and he, we were going to go ride a little bit in our neighborhood. There was a church that had a big parking lot and in there, during the middle of the week, there's nobody in it. So he took me out to this parking lot, but he's got the video camera, right? My childhood, my dad had this thing surgically attached <laughs> to his shoulder. And he's interviewing me. This video camera literally had a microphone on a cord that came out. And I'm standing there as a five-year-old with that thick Southern accent. Today, we are going to be riding my bicycle for the first time without training wheels. And this is the place where I will be doing it. Sir, please show them a round. This is all on film, folks. I'm not lying to you. And so dad, there's a slow pan, right? And he captures the whole thing. But as he's interviewing me, I remember this. I've seen the video several times since then. As a little five-year-old boy, I said, today I'm going to ride without training wheels. I'm going to ride my bike without anybody's help. Anybody's help. And when we're little, we're children, that's the mentality, isn't it? You've got little kids or you've had little kids or you've been a little kid. You know what I'm talking about. It's that desire. I want to do this on my own. I can do this without help. I want to do it without help. No, stop helping me. Here, baby, let me tie your shoe. No, I can do it without help. You know, 27 knots later, <laughs> look what I did, right? Let me help you brush your teeth. No, I can do it without help. Let me help you get dressed. No, I can do it without help. You know, you never know what's coming out of that room when they're doing it without help. 
and we're sitting up in here and we're laughing and it's cute because they're little, but you know what's not cute? You, me. When the Lord in all his grace is going, I can help you with this marriage. I can help you be a husband. I can help you be a wife. I can help you be a parent. Hey, I can help you on the job. Let me help you. Grace is going, hey, let me help. You know what's not cute? The 40, 50, 60 year old going, no, no, no. I got this. I got this. Grace is saying, let me help you. I want to help at home. No, no, no. I got this. I want to help on the job. I got it. And what's the truth about that? Do you got it? No. Do I got it? No. That is a childish way of thinking. I got this is something that's ingrained as a child. But if you don't, if you and I don't put away childish things, put away childish ways of thinking, speaking and understanding, we are going to be full grown adults going, I can do it all by myself. <laughs> Look at me. It's childish. Somebody say, I need help. I need help. I've got to thinking about this. You know, humility says, humility says, I need help. Pride says, I got this. And I was thinking about, man, what would it be like if I was stuck on the side of the road or like I said, in the driveway and the cars all pulled to pieces? You know what I would need? Now, this is somebody who doesn't know the ins and outs of this. You know what I would need? AAA. I would need some roadside assistance. Somebody say roadside assistance. And I got to thinking about it. You and I right now are on this road called life and we need some of this assistance, some triple a roadside assistance. So let me give you the triple a you ready for this. How do you get the help you need? Triple a the first day This is deep. You ready? Acknowledge the need for help. Now, what did we read from James chapter four? Who gets grace? Who gets help? Is it the prideful? No, it's who? The humble. Humility says, I need help. Now take all of this back to being born again. How did Jesus become the Lord of your life? It required humility. You had to say to him, I'm done being Lord. I am done being my own God. Being my God is what has created this mess. It's kind of like being my own mechanic. At some point, I'm going to have to say, I'm done being my own. I need help. Acknowledge the need. This goes a long way with God. Because the prideful get resisted. And it, it, it's, it's hard on our thinking to imagine God resisting us, but it goes back to something Sarah ministered to us already this morning. He cannot share his glory with someone or something else. No flesh will glory in his presence. In other words, salvation will not be the result of his goodness and yours. Come on, are you listening to me right now? Your salvation... Your righteousness is the result of one thing, his goodness. You have been made right with his 
righteousness. I need help. This goes a long way with him. It doesn't sound super spiritual, but do you know how hard it is to get people to recognize the need for help? There's so many people that won't just say these simple words. I don't know. They feel like it's, it's insulting. They feel like it's, uh, it, it would be embarrassing to admit that they don't know something. Folks, there's a lot you don't know. We could write volumes of books and fill them with things you don't know. Things I don't know. It shouldn't be that hard for us to acknowledge the need. Lord, I need help. There's a lot I don't know. And that simple act is humility, but it's also faith. Because what you're saying is, I don't know, but you do. Acknowledge. So triple A, what's the first A? Acknowledge the need for help. Forgive me for the simplicity of this this morning. Are you okay with it? Somebody say, I need help. Acknowledge the need for help. And number two, the second A here, this is real deep. Ask. Ask for it. The Bible says you have not because he's withholding. No, you have not because you. Could it really be that simple? Could it be that there are things we've been missing for a long time? That revelation we've needed, insight that we've needed, whether things spiritual or things material or physical, could it be that the reason we haven't had them is because we failed to ask? You have not because you ask not. And then he said this, make sure when you ask, you ask in faith. How do you ask in faith? Well, you ask, but the faith part is the belief and the confidence you have what I need and you will give me what I need. Faith says he's not withholding it from me. Faith says he's a good God. Faith says he's a loving God. Faith says he wants me to have what I need and I ask in faith. So number one, I acknowledge I need help. Number two, I ask for the help. And then this third A, you know what it is? Accept it. And this is so, it sounds so simple. But so many people miss this right here. Accept the help. And again, that just takes humility. It it requires humility to say, I need help, to say, I don't know. It requires humility to ask for the help. It would require humility for me to come knocking on your door and say, neighbor, I have made a mess. I have absolutely messed this thing up and I need your, I'm asking for your help. And then when you say, okay, and then and, and you come over and in all your expertise and all your knowledge and, and experience, you start working on it. And I go, uh, you sure you want to put that there? It looks better to me over here. And you're like, well, Jeremy, you know, that's a tire and it can't go anywhere else. <laughs> but right. Well, it's my car. So I think it should go over here. Humility will accept the help. I recognize I need it. I'm asking for it and I accept it. Triple A. Who knew? I don't know if that's what theirs stand for, but that's what mine stands for today. Acknowledge, ask, and accept. 
Go to the book of John with me as we begin to close. John chapter 14. Jesus knew that we needed help. And in John chapter 14, he's beginning to talk to the disciples and he's breaking the news to them. And it sounds at first like bad news. He's saying, guys, I'm leaving. Now, if you've just spent every day of the last three years of your life with this guy and he tells you he's leaving, you would think that's not good news. What do you mean you're leaving? Huh? And he says, yeah, I, I, I'm going. And he's beginning to introduce this whole concept of him not being around. This is not what they expected. This is certainly not what they wanted. But in John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said, I will pray the father and he will give you, check this out, another, what? Helper. Another helper. Who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. Now we know this from Acts chapter 2, 3, 4. Great grace was on these people and it started with this gift that came from God to you through Jesus. This gift of the Holy Spirit. You know what Jesus called him? The helper. Now the Amplified Bible does just that. It amplifies it. it takes that Greek word, that Greek word, the, the parakletos. What that word literally means is the one called alongside to help. To help. One whose whole assignment is to step up right next to you and say, can I help you? If you'll listen close, this is what the Spirit of God is saying to you and to me every moment of every day. How can I help? Can I help you with that? The one called alongside to help. Like my neighbor coming across the fence, stepping up next to me. Can I help you with that? Now a humble person will say, yes, please. I need help. I'm asking for help. And I will let you help how you see fit. Jesus said, I'm giving you another helper. Now here's where this gets so cool. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Don't turn there. Just listen. Paul is writing and he starts talking to the church about what we call the gifts of the Spirit. Are you familiar with that? He said, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant of these gifts. He said there are different gifts. And he began to talk about the gifts, the, the word of wisdom, right? The word of knowledge, the gift of faith and healing and miracles, the gift of speaking in an unknown tongue and the gift of interpreting that tongue. Every one of these gifts, gifts, gifts. You know what's so cool? When you look up that word gift, it's the Greek word charisma. Charisma. Charis. Charis, which is grace, which is help. You know what every one of those gifts are to the church? It's the Holy Spirit saying, can I help? Can I help? Now there, sadly, there's so much of the body of Christ that has resisted that help. 
I don't know about this charismatic church kind of thing. What's a, what is a charismatic church? It's one that has help. It's one that has said, Holy Ghost, we need your help. It is a church that has said, we can't do this on our own. And many people would say, you know, I can't save myself, but Jesus, once you've saved me, thank you so much. I got it from here. That's foolish. That's prideful. When grace and the spirit of grace is called right next to you. And if you could see it, if you could see into the world of the spirit, you would see the Holy Spirit following you around. And you're like, what are you doing? Why are you so close? He's like, this is where I'm called to be. Right next to you. And he's going, can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? And sadly, so much of the church, because they haven't understood that, they've said, no, we've got it. We can have church without words of wisdom and words of knowledge and tongues. I don't know about all that stuff and prophecy and I don't think healing miracles. Maybe that was for another day. You know what they're literally saying to the helper? We don't want your help. I don't need your help. We got it. We can do church on our own. We don't need the help. I'm going to go ahead and take this opportunity on this day at this time in this moment to declare we are a charismatic church. What am I saying though? What am I saying? We need help. We need your help, Holy Ghost. What is a word of wisdom? It's something that you or I couldn't do on our own. It has to do with talking about what's coming up in the future, in the unseen, what's out there just in front of us. You don't know that. I don't know that. But here comes the Holy Ghost to say, hey, let me help you with something. Let me tell you about what's out in front of you. What's a word of knowledge? Maybe you're not familiar with some of these things, but listen, it's very simply this when in a, in a gathering in a service like this, it can be in church or out of church, but it's the spirit of God speaking up on the inside of you and telling you something that you had no way of knowing something about another person, not to embarrass or bring judgment, but maybe you've seen it or heard it like this. There's somebody in here today. You are contemplating divorce or there's somebody in here today. You've got a pain in the lower back and the doctors have said that, you know, you understand what I'm saying here? It's this example of, of detailed things that you couldn't know on your own. I couldn't know on your own, but I got a helper standing right next to me here going, hey, Jeremy, let me help you with something real quick. There's somebody in here. You see what I'm saying? And you go through every one of those gifts and all they are is the Holy Ghost saying, can I help? Let me help you. I want the help. I need the help. I want, I want to be a charismatic church. You know, you get to the end of that chapter, you know what he says? He says, covet earnestly the best gifts, the best charisma, the best grace. Covet earnestly help. Want the help. Don't be so prideful that you don't want the help. Humble yourself and say, I need the help. I'm asking for the help. I will accept the help and however it comes to me, I covet it. I desire it. And the cross reference there says, covet earnestly or desire earnestly the best. The cross reference says the greatest. 
Do you want to hear what he literally just said? Desire earnestly mega grace. Desire earnestly mega help. Is there anybody else that would humble themselves enough this morning and say, I want the help of the Holy Ghost. I want the help of the Holy Spirit in my life all day, every day. I want his help at home. I want his help at work. I want his help at school. I want his help in my marriage. I want his help teaching me how to be a parent. I want his help in my finances. There's a lot of folks that would draw the line right there. No, no, money stuff, I got it. We're good. That's a good way to get resisted. But the, the humble will say, I need the help. I want the help. And Jesus said this. Let me just give you a couple of things here. In, uh, here in John chapter 14, I want to look specifically before we go at how the Holy Spirit helps you. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? He will teach you. This is part of the help of the Holy Spirit. He will teach you. He said he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. He will teach you. We send our children off to school and we stick them in that school for seven or eight hours a day for one main reason. They don't know anything. They don't know anything yet. And so we put them at the feet of people we call teachers. And we say, hey, you, you know a bunch of stuff. Teach them that stuff, the stuff they don't know, so that they will know the stuff that you know. It's called teaching. There are things that you don't know. Things that I don't know. A humble person will acknowledge that. A humble person will say, Lord, there is so much. There's so much I don't know about how to lead this family. I'm asking you to teach me. There's not one thing you or I could do in this life that the Holy Spirit is not an expert in. Not one thing. He's brilliant. Genius, mega genius. There's not one thing. Lord, I'm asking you, teach me to be a daddy. I don't know. I, I don't know always how to respond. I don't always know what to say and when to say. I'm asking you to teach me, Holy Ghost. I need the help. I'm asking for it. And however you want to help me with it, I'll yield to it. Teach me. This is part of the help of the Holy Spirit. And did you notice this in connection with him teaching you? He said he would bring to your remembrance all the things that he's already taught you. This is huge right here because you can hear something and think, man, that's good. I'll hang on to that. And later that day, where'd it go? You don't know. But I have made a habit over the last few years of making this confession and, and I make it over myself often. And I say this, I say that I receive, retain, recall, and recite information by the help of the Holy Spirit. I receive, retain, recall, and recite. 
I receive, retain, recall, and recite. See, I have the capacity because of the born again spirit of God that's alive and well inside of me. I have the spiritual capacity for all the fullness of God. That's the capacity I have. So what is this thing? Huh? What, th this thing I don't understand. Huh? What, what, is, what is your job? Oh, but you don't understand. I work at a very high level in government. Uh, okay. If there's something you don't know, the Holy Spirit can teach you. And you have the capacity to receive it. I had to learn this in junior high algebra. I have the capacity to receive this. I have the capacity to hang on to it. I receive it. I retain it. And at the right time, I recall it. And I can recite it. I can say it back just the way it was said to me. That's my confession. It's almost not fair. Your child has almost an unfair advantage over the other kids in the class. He's got great help. He's got holy ghost help. She's got Holy Ghost help. And when they sit down to study at night, they can say, okay, this is not too hard for me. I can receive this. I can retain this. I can recall it and recite it. And when they're sitting there taking that test and they're going, oh, what was that? Mm, Holy Ghost. What's the answer to number three? <laughs> this is the kind of help you and I have, whether it's on the job or in the home. We have a teacher. Somebody say, I have a teacher. But for him to do his job, what do you have to be? Teach a bull. That's humble. Jesus also said in John chapter 15, go ahead guys. When they start playing, it helps me shut up. In John chapter 15, Jesus said in verse 26, when the helper comes, whom I'll send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. Say testify. So part of the help of the Holy Spirit is he will teach. Part of his help is he will testify. Testify. What's that mean? Jesus said he would testify of me. Later in chapter 16, Jesus said the, the Holy Spirit's not going to speak of, his, of himself. He's not going to say his own thing. He's going to say what I said. He will testify of me. Have you ever said this before? Lord, is that you? How do I know if it's you? How do I know if it's God speaking to me? How do I know if that's you leading me to do this or go there? How do I know, Lord, is that you? Is it me? Is it my flesh? Is it your spirit? Here's how Jesus said you'd know. By the help of the Holy Spirit. You have this help beside you. You have this help in you right now that will testify this is Jesus. You're hearing from Jesus. You remember when Jesus came walking to the disciples on the water and he said, it is I, do not be afraid. And they were all like, is it you Lord or is it a ghost? Because you know, sometimes ghosts will tell you, don't be afraid. <laughs> but what did Peter say? If it is you Lord, which has always cracked me up, right? If it is you, how many fingers do I have up behind my back? I mean, you could have said anything. Right? If it is you, what's our special song? If it is you, but he said that, and you've said that I've said that is it, if that's you, Lord, but what you don't want to say is if that's you, Lord, um, uh, make it a, a cloudy night. 
If it is you, Lord, then have somebody in a red dress go walking by me. If it is you, Lord, and you start looking for all these outward signs, Jesus is like, you don't need that. You've got this help in you that will testify that it's me. So how does he help us? He teaches us. He testifies. And then finally, Jesus said in John chapter 16, he said in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them. You can't hear them. Do you know how frustrated this makes me with these disciples? Seriously, guys, we could have had more red words, but you couldn't hear it right now. Which goes to show you that just because you have got something to say doesn't mean you should say it. Jesus is saying, I, there's so much more I want to say. You know, you see somebody. You see somebody making a mess in their driveway of their engine. And there's so much you could say to help. But if they can't hear it, you shouldn't say it. You can't force help on people. And God's not forcing his help on you. He's looking for AAA, the acknowledgement that you need it, the asking in faith for it, and the accepting, the yielding to it. I got many things to say to you, he said, but I can't say them right now. So here's what he's going to do. I'm going to, in verse 16, when he, the spirit of truth has come. And you can do this with other people. Lord, I got things to say to them. I see things, but they can't hear it. So I'm going to trust you to get it to them somehow, some way, through somebody else or by your spirit. And that's what Jesus is doing. I'm going to trust Jesus. He's saying, I'm going to trust the spirit to get it to you. When the spirit of truth has come, he'll guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So he's going to teach you. He's going to testify of Jesus. And what else will he do? Tell you things to come. That's help. You can't know things about the future on your own. You need help with that. You need the, the, the parakletos, the one called alongside who stands there and goes, can I help you with something? Here's what's coming up. Here's what you need to be ready for. And maybe he doesn't always spell it out in every detail, but he'll lead you to do something today that ensures prosperity tomorrow. What's he doing? Showing you things to come. This is how he helps us. Somebody say, I need help. help. Won't you stand up with me? I am so thankful for this help. I'm so grateful for this help. You don't know how many times in the last year I've said, Lord, you have got to teach me how to pastor. I don't know. I don't know. I can read a book and it's great, but I've got to have you teach me how to do it. And I believe that by his grace, he is helping. He's helping all of us. He's helping us in this church. And I'm saying it in Jesus name. Great grace, great help is coming on us. And people from all around us will have to look and say, how'd they do that? How'd they get that? How'd they accomplish that? And the only answer will be, we had help. We had help. It won't be because I'm smart, you're smart. It won't be because of our experience. It will be because we've had mega, mega help.
this charismatic church. How'd they know that about the future? They had help. How'd they know that about that person? Did somebody tell them? No, they had help. The Holy Ghost said so. What was that funny language they were talking in? And somebody else got up and said, thus said the Lord. Oh, what is all that? It's help. It's just help. It's the Holy Ghost saying, oh man, y'all need some help. Let me help you with that. Somebody say it again. I need help. I need help. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Altar ministers, would you come? I want to give an invitation this morning before we leave church. If there is anybody in this room today, number one has never been born again, but number two, you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. What, am I, what do I mean by that? You've never had the help of God like you could have. I just don't know another way to say it to you. Life is different when he helps. You run out of your strength so quick. You run out of every kind of strength, mental strength, physical strength, financial strength. You run out of strength on your own so quick. But this is where grace comes in. This is where grace comes in. He said, my grace, my help is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So when you run out of strength, my strength kicks in. When you can't lift it, I come alongside of you and we can carry it. When you can't move it, I come alongside and we get this thing out of the way. When you can't do it, when you're not smart enough, I come alongside. I fill you with wisdom and understanding and revelation. And all of a sudden you see the answer. You know the answer. This is the kind of daily help I'm talking about. Do not leave this church today without this help. So if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that's never been filled with the Holy Spirit, raise your hand. We want to pray with you today. We don't want anybody leaving this place without that gift. Well, I don't see any hands. So everybody look up at me. That means that you should be living every day with this kind of help. And if you're not, then there's a pride issue. Don't, don't get resisted. Don't. Don't look at God dressed in battle array against you. Oh, dear Lord, no. First Peter talked about it. He gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself. You remember this? Under the mighty hand of God that you may be exalted in due time. Which side of the hand of God are you living on? Because if you'll humble yourself under it, he will lift you up but it requires that humility. So why don't you say this today? Father, in Jesus name, I acknowledge the need for help. There are things, things I don't know, things I don't have, things I need to know, things I need to have, things that you know. I acknowledge the need for your help. And I'm asking for your help. I believe you have it. You know it. And you want me to have it. You want me to know it. And I believe I have the capacity to see it, to understand it. I am capable because of your spirit that lives in me. 
I can receive it. I can retain it. I can recall it. I can recite it by the help of the Holy Ghost. And I will accept your help in whatever way it comes to me. If it comes as I read your word, I'll accept it. If it comes by the leadership of your spirit, I will accept it. If it comes through my leaders, my pastors, those you've assigned to help me, I will accept the help in Jesus name. Thank you, Lord. Lift up your hands and just thank the Lord and praise him. Thank you, Father. Glory, glory, glory. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.